welcome to an episode of the Pedestrian Podcast. Uh, we're back after a few weeks' illness and uh, forgetting to do a podcast, I think is probably the reasons for the last couple of weeks. Uh, but we're back, myself, Stuart Court, as, as ever, Mr. Adam Nathan. How are we, sir? I'm good. I'm just coming through, I think, uh, my version of sort of whatever this nonsense winter cold is. Um, on the injury report, I would say, but... Not doubtful, not doubtful. Uh, questionable and hopefully off the report altogether by Friday. Yeah, last week was a dark week. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're on the other side of it. Uh, now, I'm just, I'm just going to blame the city of Liverpool because I was there the weekend and when I come back, the hangover turned into a nine-day splittering session. Uh, joining myself and Stuart, myself and Stuart, myself and Adam. Uh, oh, Stuart is, is sticking. That brain is, fog's still there. Uh, yeah, is uh, one of the the best followers on social media, a madman who stays up till, who often tweets going live for the podcast at 4am in the morning, which is just wild on so many levels. Mr. Matty Brown, welcome back to the Ped Pod, sir. It's great to be back. Thanks for having me. Uh, not too late this time because no. obviously you're English. I'm glad you're both feeling better. Maybe it was a post-World Cup blues, maybe. No, it was It was definitely the uh, the... Oh, what's the whiskey? There's a whiskey and coke I was having a lot of in um uh in a bar called Teddy's in uh, Liverpool, which is one of the best places. The bar is one of the best places I've ever been to. But um, but yeah, and I mean we, we've had over the two inch episode, but a lot of people go on to do some very cool things. You like you 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 broke you cracked the Pete Carroll code in Germany a few weeks ago, and like a star was born kind of thing. Like what, what was that whole? That week like in Munich for you and like but honestly a Wednesday press conference is probably dollars anything for Pete, but you managed to break down the wall a little bit. Oh yeah, that was amazing. The whole experience. And you hear about how the Seahawks are supposedly, you know, a first class organization and, and all that stuff, but really they're like the way that their um press relations department, the the general team, the way they put everything together was was first class like it was it was really good and obviously Pete Carroll I felt he mugged me off a bit in the uh in the presser but <laughs> he gave me a he gave me a very good answer and he's very kind and uh then on the Thursday as well got some good stuff out of him and obviously just the whole experience amazing with uh meeting the German Seahawks fans meeting some of the UK Seahawks fans as well uh, I don't know if anyone will remember that or not because uh, it, <laughs> it was also helped along by German's uh, finest produce, which obviously, you know, I also enjoyed. And then the game, uh, not the best result, but again, great experience being, uh, you know, in a in a press box for the, well, not the first time, but the first time I was covering the Seahawks in a press box. Uh, and they don't really have a press box, it's outdoors, which means you're amongst the fans, great atmosphere, I felt you know, I've been to some UK games, but I felt Germany was a very strong contender for having more international games, and that is the plan down the line. But, yeah, brilliant overall. Yeah, I mean, th- that was one of the weird things about, like, the Greg Bowers, Mike Dugas of the world. Like, they had a good view from a press, from a press box with change, and it's like, it's the same everywhere. Like, the press box yeah, they is were always all, They were all raving about it. Like, uh, <laughs> I was like, this is uh, how well, it Well, they should be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, sorry that you're like, <laughs> even at like the senior bowl they put you in like a glass cubicle which is really odd because there's all it's like a kind of a celebration down in mobile for that all-star game and and uh and then in in the press box you're sort of vacuumed away from it which is odd 
Yeah. Uh, so, Adam, since last time we pod, podded, um, things have gone slightly skew-if um, with our 2022 Seahawks, haven't they? I mean, I have not watched any of last week's game because of illness and work, but it's it just feels like the, the, the air has come out of the tyres at quite a rate. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and Matty, this might lead into some sort of a, the analytical way that you look at so many things. So we started the season and I said that I thought the Seahawks could win anywhere between one and nine games. And the reason for the breadth of that is that I don't know how clutch the quarterback is going to be. You know, a team that wants to play close to the fourth quarter, eventually if you try and you know go for coin tosses, sometimes the coin toss goes the wrong way and it can happen on, on a regular basis. So that's how I started the season. You then get to six and three, and I'm a firm believer that, especially in a sport as sort of short-termist as the NFL, it's fine to change expectations. And I think I said on this podcast, like there's almost no one in the NFC that I would particularly fear going to in the playoffs after that four-game win streak, which looks a little bit stupid now. But we now find ourselves one and four. It doesn't look great. And I suppose there's some people that are saying, well, now, you know, just just sack the last three games off, get the highest draft pick you can um, or whatever. But I don't think that's the case. I don't believe in tanking at any stage in, in any team game because I think it has too much of a, a neg- negative effect on, on the future and how you're perceived. But if I was right in a way or wrong in a way from an analytical and, and the the standpoint that you take, was I overly high at six and three or was there something in the, in that team or in this team that you could say, no, this was a really good team or has water found its level. And we are just kind of a, a one and four let's extrapolate that out to like a, you know, four and 13 team. Yeah. It's almost like they've found their, uh, their, their worst point now after finding probably their best point And maybe they are like a hovering around 500 team with a bit of the usual variance. It's a, uh, Tough situation. Uh, it's pretty grim right now. But what is good about these next three games, I guess, is, you know, can they reignite? It's time for them to reignite what they found in the middle of the season. If they can't do that, then they're not going to make the playoffs. And then I said, I think, before the season that there'd be a 10-7 and 7 team. I was pretty optimistic about Geno Smith. Uh, I think probably my most pessimistic view was, you know, probably like, five or six wins. And then I think if I was going to be a bit more realistic or I'd, you know, woke up on the wrong side of bed, I'd have said they were a seven and 10 team. And it seems like it is that kind of seven and 10, maybe a bit better season, but they could surprise us. Like <laughs> it's kind of like at this point, I guess like the 49ers game, you're sort of thinking, oh, maybe this will just be a classic peak Howard game where they just pull something out of the bag that you don't expect. But it was literally that there was no other reason to feel that optimistic about that. Now, the good news is Geno Smith is still playing pretty well, but like I don't get why they've just completely abandoned their their run game. Like that that 49ers game, they just left, they went a pass-heavy approach, approached it like they were down big from the start. There's just a lot of questions about the team that I didn't really have when they're winning those games, and I'm sure Pete Carroll didn't have either. This is probably going to be maybe an overly general question, but I, I fully respect that they tried to sort of refuel the jet whilst it's in the sky. Um, you know, they were very keen to not call it a rebuild and, you know, and, and not call it sort of a, a breakdown and start again, which a lot of people would say that when you change your quarterback, you naturally find yourself in, in rebuilding mode. 
they they've obviously done their level best to remain competitive and i i respect that and I, i've had more fun supporting the team this year than than for a long time but i guess my worry is if they end up missing the playoffs if Gino Smith sort of has another three games like his previous four or five, which have been good, but maybe quite hard to exactly situate what the value of, of that would be. Is there the fear that they could have ended up just sort of, I don't want to say wasting a year or wasting a season, but kind of having the same questions at the end of this year, they had the end of last year and outside of a really good draft class, which is nothing to be sniffed at, kind of not have learned as much as you would hope to given the changes they've made. Yeah, I think that fear's fair, but then it's also like, you know, heading into the season, the big question mark was quarterback. And I still think, despite perhaps the production dipping, well, the production has dipped, no perhaps about it, but Gino's process has remained pretty good. Like, the difference these last few games has been that, like I said, they've just moved away from the run game completely. Now, the running back room got banged up, but also, like, even if you look at, like, the best teams in the league, they have uh, offenses in the league. They have constraint plays, and they can they have a run game that's there when they need it. Even, like, Kansas City, right, the opponent this week, what makes them difficult, and Pete Carroll spoke to this, is the fact that they have those layers to their attacks and the versatility in their attack. Whereas Seattle, like, again, for instance, against the 49ers, they used under-center formations, which if you think about how Jared Goff was supported, and I think Gino's playing uh, probably a better quarterbacking and more um, uh, creative, uh, more artistic rather than sort of being a robot, a trained robot um, than Goff was. But if you think about Goff's successful spell of the Rams, like that was largely supported by under center. And when you think about the the core run of this attack, well, Andy Dixon was going to bring in, it's that mid zone from under center formations. So then the fact that they only use under center formations against the 49ers for five of 64 snaps, which is, just 7.8% of the time. They use zero of those pistol formations. Remember early in the season when they were using pistol loads with the uh, three tie 10 sets sometimes out there. And it, it, that that just, it doesn't make sense to me. It's almost like they've they've completely lost confidence in their run game and they're putting it all on Gino, along with the fact that, I mean, this past week, I think the defense was slightly better, but you're still giving up a bust. You're still having Shanahan scheme against you. But along with the fact, you know, there hasn't been that same confidence in the defense. Gino's had to do too much. Like, not not even like a. I'd love to know what quarterbacks would have done better in the situation. Is what I'm saying. So, it is weird because, and I think your concern is fair that maybe it's a wasted season. But I, I still think they've found something at quarterback. Now the problem, obviously, is well, then if you pay the quarterback, is the rest of the team in the right situation for to you know be retooled, not rebuilt? Uh, because your cap situation is not going to be as good is say you know three or four draft picks in the defense going to be enough next year to come back remember jamal adams is injured and i think even the most negative of adams is uh viewers even like ignoring the trade value but just even as a player right i think they had acknowledged that he has been a big miss this year especially with the schematic design that and the plans they had for him you know is that enough him coming back hopefully staying healthy uh and then retooling a bit more and, you know, second year of the system, so hopefully some players knowing it better. And then, you know, I don't know. The, my other worry as well, which is sort of amplified by Tyler Lockett's absence at the moment, is, you know, you've got Metcalf and Lockett, these great duo of receivers. It's easy to take that for granted. How long can that actually last? Like, you know, durability may start to become a concern, especially with Lockett, who is, you know, nearing on 30 now and has been at such a high level for so long. So 
I, I don't know the answer. It's going to be interesting to see how they do it. But I would just say, like, Gino hasn't regressed in terms of his process. Like, the process that uh, after the preseason, I was like, this guy is going to prove people wrong. I, I wrote an article on it um, because it, it was obvious that he was playing quarterback well. The problem has been it, the balance has become skewed far too heavily towards Gino, and he has not he's not had anything, really. It's, and, you know, I think maybe Pete focusing on trying to fix his defence the game plan against the 49ers and in other weeks as well, where they've just gone so pass heavy, even if it's a close game state, I'm not sure Pete will abide by that, you know, against Kansas city where Carol said he, he felt they'd fix some things on the defense against 49ers. The tape did kind of match that maybe Kansas city, he steps in and goes, well, we need to probably get back to what our, you know, our core uh, roots are here rather than putting Gino in a lot of pressurized situations, letting them tee off. It, it it does feel like the Seahawks are in a better situation than they were twelve months, but a lot of that is with it's not recency bias, but it's it's like hindsight kind of thing. Because no matter what they pay or if they pay Gino in the off season, it's not going to be as hamstringing or hamstrung as what they played the or what the Broncos played their quarterback. But like, but and also the conversations changed on what they were going to do with that Denver pick or their their first pick. That has completely changed because now we're we're all going to be spending three or four months watching Jalen Carter and ignoring what Todd McShay is saying about him. That's that that a, a year ago, or when they made the trade to send the quarterback to Denver, um, it was either going to get Bryce, uh, CJ, or Will or Will. Like they were the guys, but now that conversation is changing, which is it's not. It's not so much a waste of season from my point of view because the, the approach that they can come into off the back of the the, the 20, 2022 draft class is, is so much different and there's more uh, table places on the table, I think. And like on the, the Jamal thing, I think I texted you, Adam, about five weeks ago because like they missed that man. It's like, even for my, like, dumb eye view compared to you, mate. Like, he... Quite clearly, it's it's it almost seems like everything's engineered to him to a certain, but they just forgot that he's not there. Like, for, I don't know how like valid that is, but what watching it for me is like, like that play is made for Jamal Adams to fly across the field and make a tackle to make the impact play, and just, they just not obviously not forgot he was there, but they're playing with like ten men kind of at certain points and certain junctures on defense. It feels like because he's been a massive. A massive, massive loss. So he he is going to add to that. What like what, what's the old the, the old cliche? It's going to be like a new signing, but he is because he's gonna he's gonna have what a year without play. He's gonna have a year. You'd hope learning the system uh, in the building and everything else. Yeah. So he in twenty twenty three again is going to have a lot on his plate. But he's got, he, you'd expect him to be make the impact that we've 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 been lacking in. I think at times. Yeah, uh, agreed. That that is a massive miss. I don't. They, I think they just had to throw some stuff out and like, you know, it's, you, you've lost a blitzing threat, so it suddenly you have a bit less options as well in that respect. And even if you view Jamal and I view him more positively, but even if you view Jamal say as like a medium starter, like as as well as Ryan Neal plays at times, like he is a like career kind of backup like vibes dude for a reason like he, he's just not as good which is fine like he's he's doing a great job he's filled in admirably but like you know there's the odd mistake from him which just wouldn't happen um so 
that that sucks. And um, hopefully Jamal, like he's multiple injuries now, 27, he'll be 28 next October. Obviously, you know, you can get into the value of the trade and how that was probably an overpay, even with the, the COVID uh, justification and all that stuff. But but like just looking at him as a player now and for Seattle to get the most out of him, I mean, that would still be huge for their defense if he can like play a fully healthy season. Yeah, yeah, but on, on the on the offensive side with the winning game, is is the Dickinson Waldron Pete thing? It needs that. It does. It does still need that double prong thing, doesn't it? Because we needed Richard Penny to stick around. To I know Kenneth Walker popped off probably more than most of us expected, but he clearly has hit either through injury or just he just seems to have hit a bit of a rookie wall. Another cliche thrown in there, but like that, this offense to tick needs those two guys. Because again, because back in the day with Marshall, and that's what made him so unique and so special to this that offense is that he could do it all on his own. But in 2022, 2023, this needs two frontline backs, isn't it? To keep it going because we've lost one of them. And while Walker had a good three, four, five weeks, it like the drop off because he he doesn't have that second guy is one of the things that's probably uh, handcuffing things on the offensive side, isn't it? Yeah. I'm sort of trying to work out why they would just scale back the run game completely, other than maybe just being terrified at the 49ers front. But like, I mean, dropping back so many times in shotgun with quite a bit of five-man pass protection, that doesn't really make sense either. But I guess one of the reasons maybe is like Walker was hurt a bit in that game, even though he managed to play after he jammed his ankle, like a old high school injury, doesn't sound great. Now he's missed practice this week. Maybe it's that. Maybe also like, you know, the rookie wall may be a thing. And I think if you look back at his runs, which where he was hitting, it was like quite a lot of creativity and like brilliant uh, creation in space. But it's like, you know, how sustainable is that? Uh, how, do they trust him to run the under center mid zone and cut it back for like the five yards rather than, you know, being kind of boom or bust in his nature? And maybe not, but maybe that's another reason because I just, I can't explain why you wouldn't lean on that more. Like that was... A big thing and also what comes with that isn't just the under center runs is well now we can do the under center play action like heck they hit Tyler Lockett down the field on for a 19 yard against the 49ers uh from the under center play action game they didn't run a single under center drop back pass or bootleg again in that game uh, it does, doesn't make sense to me like if you, the way that works is there should be even with you know Bosa coming off the edge and they're the width of that front and how aggressive and penetrating they play even with that, you should have enough constraints off that as, you know, the Rams tree McVeigh has shown in the past that you can exploit that and, and you can layer off it. But they just there was no attempt to do that. It's just they they came out in a really kind of spread heavy shotgun look, which I guess you could also point towards the fact that Geno Smith maybe uh, prefers those stuff to move the ball. Like if you remember that Pittsburgh game last year where they kind of spread the ball out for him, like it was an emergency game plan, but it was more spread concepts reminiscent of his time in college. Maybe he kind of likes that more, or maybe they're just given up on, gave up on the run game that game, felt they couldn't fix it. But really the the lack of the, the uh, yeah, the under center is inexplicable to me. And if we don't see it against Kansas City, then I think, you know, and they still struggle to move the ball. I, I really do think Pete's going to be asking serious questions of Shane Waldron, like, he can't really go and fire Clint Hurt because it's year one. What would that achieve? Also, you've already fired one of defensive coordinator. Um, 
maybe like it heats up on Waldron. Obviously, you know, you have to give the caveat of it's terrible to see guys lose their jobs, but it's the nature of the business. And it depends how the season ends. Cause I don't, like I said, I don't think Gino's doing much wrong. It's, he's just, he's doing what he's given, you know? Matt, just to interject on that, the, presumably the headset worked both ways, right? So it seems like it should be quite easy for Pete Carroll to say, Shane, sort this fucking out right now and change it. Like, what what would prohibit? It's his team. What? Why wouldn't? If this feels like it should be quite an easy fix, if it's not what Pete Carroll wants to do, no. Yeah, I've no idea. I've no idea. I um, I would love to ask him. I I believe I'm in the Monday press conference after Kansas City. So if if uh, there is a a shortage of under center I, I, i'll be asking him that and even if there's more of it i'll be might get a question in about uh yeah under center versus shotgun and what what happens but you know maybe he's given given them too much leeway to do their thing i don't know on the other side of the ball um sorry were you going to ask about offense because if no, not no, no, no. um so when you have an offensive head coach and he yeah. hands over play calling duties to a coordinator, there's always like a furore about, oh my goodness, like this coach has, has lost his way. He's lost authority. It's the desperate throws, um, you know, of a guy under huge pressure. Pete Carroll in the off season, from what I can tell, basically has gone away from his own philosophy and handed over the defense to other players people sort of with this Fangio style and we we texted about this briefly last week Matty I don't really understand like what a head coach is there for if he's a defensive minded guy but not running his own scheme it it just seems confusing to me that a guy who's had so much success would go away from what he knows and I just can't really get my head around it but no one knows the defense better than you do so just give me an inkling as to why that would happen and and sort of how we're supposed to let Pete away with that in a way? Well, that is a good question. And I think there's there's multiple parts to it. So firstly, there is sometimes like a bit of like, oh, what's going on here? If, if an offensive coach has handed over play calling duties to, you know, uh, an assistant. That being said, like this week's opponent, Kansas City, like Eric Bieniemy calls the plays. Now we don't know the exact split between him and Andy Reid, but, you know, Andy Reid's still given a lot of credit for that offense to the point where the enemy, for whatever reason, uh, and we can imagine two big ones probably, uh, is not one probably bigger than the other, is not given, uh, you know, he's not a head coach yet. But I think people really must also think that Reid is is the architect of that offense. So that's one thing, right? And I think uh, Carroll's always been delegating with his assistant coaches. Like if you go back to when they were really good uh, on defense, Carroll came up with them. It was still Carroll's system, Carroll's language, but he delegated, for instance, Gus Bradley came up with a lot of the pattern matching rules. Dan Quinn did a lot of the defensive line stuff. Uh, Rocky Sito and um, other assistants, I should remember, but they came up with sort of the back end stuff and the techniques as well, which were obviously Pete influenced because he's a DB guy too. But you have to delegate as a coach. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily a weakness. And indeed, it led to a beautiful blossoming in Seattle with that system. The big thing for me, which again, I should have should have asked Peter about in Munich, probably hopefully we'll get a question in on Monday, is the fact that this year is the first year that I have like on record, and believe me, like I I've uh, I've tried to go back like since like at least USC like 2002, 
probably at li- since you know forever that Pete has gone away from using like Monte Kiffin esque language, who he was with back at NC State, and he's now the defense is now using the Vic Fangio system language, which obviously Clint Hurt wanted to use. Perhaps was an uh, an influencing factor in Sean Desai joining because it's what he knows as well, what he used in Chicago in 2021 and now is using uh, in Seattle. So maybe it was a recruiting tool. Maybe it's Pete thinking one day about succession, like he wanted to, or maybe it's just like, you know, they like the system because they wanted to go to more of a 3-4 because they were already running very similar concepts, no doubt influenced by Hertz experience with Fangio and in that system. So why not just fully go for it rather than sort of constantly having to uh, bastardize your 4-3 personnel into a kind of 3-4 look and if you're fully 3-4 in personnel then you just have more on the table than if you're 4-3 and have the 3-4 package which uh, Pete Carroll uh, did but the and and a bare defense but he didn't have it fully like this is like going it's like rather than running a 4-3 with uh, 3-4 personnel they're running like a a of three four with three four personnel, um, and they were kind of running a of three four with four three personnel as well uh, as the as the um, seasons progressed, as the the need to be able to spread out your defense a bit more uh, took place uh, last year in twenty twenties when they really kicked started all of this. So I think Hurt always had that power, and it was pretty easy probably for him to obviously we don't know what happened, but for him to convince Pete into going hey, we should probably just do the whole thing. But to me, still, like the fact that he's given up his defensive language, which he'll have used probably for his whole career, that that seems like a major storyline. But maybe I'm just being a nerd about that. <laughs> but but also, but that, is it also why, like, smaller, minor things, like him, Pete being so hyped about Bruce being back, because he's someone who can carry over. He's clearly like the locker room presence, kind of drag everyone through. But also, like he can carry over and, and teach these guys that it, this is what you want to do, but this is what this means, kind of thing. Is that is that why little things like that are cropping up with? Because Bruce Irving, I couldn't tell you what his stat line looks like for this season, but it, it, it seemed really quick, quick and uh, um, not overblown because I love Bruce Irving, but it just it seemed quite quite telling that he was so hyped about what Bruce has been able to do. And not even really on Sundays, but more like Monday to Saturdays. Yeah, no doubt. And obviously, you know, he embodies like a veteran player on the team. And, you know, this is what it takes to be in the NFL. It's wild to me. I don't know what his snap count was last week. Probably a bit less because it was on a short week, Thursday night football. But like he was playing over 80% of the snaps. He's basically taken up a starting role because he can edge set reliably and he knows the system. Now, don't get me twisted. The system's not that different. They 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 kind of ask the same thing at the edges. But we see Daryl Taylor's regression, that he's not doing what they wanted him to do. Like they at the start of the year, Clint Hurt said Daryl Taylor can be as good as he wants to be. I, I said the same uh, before that. And then Taylor has not panned out to that level. He's become a pass rush specialist, and Seattle hasn't been in that many clear passing down situations because of their defensive struggles. And so uh Taylor hasn't got on the field that often. In fact, Boye Maffey outsnap counted him whenever Maffey gets playing time because they trust him more to set an edge than Dower Taylor, which is absolutely wild. So that's a big question. And really, like I think a lot of the the it's 
sucks to call out coaches and I don't know the behind the scenes details, but I think it's fair when you have regression like that from Taylor, like, you know, is Aaron Curry reaching him well uh, as an outside linebackers coach? Curry's experience with coaching the way they want the outside linebackers to set the edge, but he's still a relatively young coach. Uh, that You can ask a question about that. You can also ask a question about the interior of the defensive line with obviously Clint Hurt used to coach those guys. He was the D-line coach overall. Now he's a defensive coordinator. That does take up more of his time. So who is coaching the interior defensive line? Well, it's Damian Lewis, who's in his third year as a coach, so relatively inexperienced. I'm sure he's a, a good coach, but he's not Clint Hurt, right? So it's, uh, yeah, questions about that. But yeah, t- Taylor's a big, big disappointment. And that's why Bruce Irvin is also a big deal. Remember they tried to get... um. Bam Johnson signed off like Carolina's practice squad or waived by Carolina. They tried that Daryl Johnson was playing these snaps as the edge setting guy on early downs. Like Taylor was benched for him. Like that's uh that's saying something. Yeah. I mean, I've never heard Bam Johnson's name until like 15 seconds ago. Um oh, but quickly back on your offense, you talk about the D-line. The the middle three on the airline, particularly the center, I mean. I haven't watched the last few games as intently as I did for like the six, seven weeks before, but Gabe Jackson, for me, feels like he's right up there in the Daryl Taylor, whatever stakes you want to get, dub that, because he, it, it just seems a lot of the issues are not on Damian Lewis's size. Obviously, there's a lot of plaudits and positivity around the two rookie guys, but Gabe, Blythe, that, like, they're, they're the two experienced ones. I think I've said this podcast before, they seem to be the ones who are I blowing shit up more up more often than not. Or is that just me being critical of something I haven't probably just need to pay more attention to? Uh, no, I think you, I think that's fair. Although the O line in general got their like asses kicked, uh, and again, I don't think they were helped by the way that the the offense was constructed. But they got their butts kicked against the 49ers. But yeah, Jackson, the this kind of a weird situation the way he's splitting time with uh, Phil Haynes, like. He's going to be 32 in July. He's been playing in the league since 2014. It's like they're doing this to protect his body. His body's clearly, you know, breaking down. Will he come back after an off-season and be fine? Like, doesn't seem that likely. Like, I don't know what, what he can do in the off-season to, to get back. But, yeah, he's been he's been a weakness. And uh, they, they can cut him for, um, I think it's like just over, nearly $5 million, I think, um, in the off-season. So that, that might happen but and then with Blythe like he's like he's just a center like he's smart I don't know how how many great run games have a good like a really good center I, I don't know but like, how many elite centers are there I don't I don't know enough I need to watch more of the league I, that's an off-season thing I've got planned to sort of look back at run games and see who had actually a really like like ass-kicking center who's like renowned but I think Blythe's just Fine. It's funny though, because post it last year, towards the back end, he actually started to work things out. And like their interior of three, the run game chemistry, that was a thing. And they, for whatever reason, haven't found it. It doesn't help. Again, I keep harping on this point. It doesn't help when you don't run the ball, especially from under center. Like that's not going to help anything. And that's kind of what Pete was saying this week. Like they sort of need to run the ball more because there's no cohesion. Like to stick with the offense. Um, I guess if someone had said to you that the team would be doing really well, Juno's production would be sky high, and then it would eventually sort of tail off a bit. The natural thought would be, oh, okay, well, teams will have watched the tape on him, figured out what he can and can't do, 
and defenses will have adjusted to that. From what I can tell from listening to your guys' podcast and Mike Dugar and basically people far more intelligent than me, that's not actually the case. And it doesn't seem that like Gino has been found out. And I think Griffin said this in, in particular, like, you you guys are fairly confident that what we've seen sort of in the good of Gino is transferable and, and going to be replicable over the next few years. And it's not the case of tape has equaled nullification. Yeah, that's correct. And I'd say the only thing Gino has been uh, slightly guilty of in like his bad moments is he's over trying to make something happen because the, the rest of the complimentary plays aren't there. Uh, you know, because he's getting heated up a bit. Like he, don't get me wrong, he stays poised, but he is a bit of a, as Carol said, he's a hothead. He's very competitive, and that can occasionally go over the mark, especially in these situations where, like, like the pick six he threw, um, they couldn't, they weren't running the ball. They'd exposed the tackles. Obviously, it came back in a, a, on a roughing the pass penalty, which was perhaps slightly fortunate. That you, you know, they, they weren't running the ball. Uh, the, the, they're exposing the tackles. There's quite a bit of five-man pass protection looks. Gino gets an inside move from uh, Damian Lewis, moves up in the pocket really well, steps up, tries to throw it to Lockett. Lockett um, is open, but he's he's broke the other way. Um, so Gino is like on a hitch. Lockett w- was working back to the outside. Gino went for the inside. That's how the DB picks the ball off. If Lockett goes the same side, it's right. Now, was that slightly inadvisable? Yes, but like they had not moved the ball on offense. If Lockett's on the same page, it's, it's a it's a great sort of semi-improvised play, but not really. It's much more moving up the pocket in structure, but there's a lot of stress on him. And like, they've done nothing. They've, they've done absolutely nothing. And in the back of your mind, that must be a thing. And that kind of uh, need for patience of thing, again, is something that can be encouraged, uh, nursed. If you know that you've got a run game behind you, if you know you've got these, these like, but they, they still can't run a screenplay. Like, there's no easy throws in the offense, really. Like, there's a the occasional quick game, but Gino's like having to like really, really try to get completions, and that shouldn't that shouldn't be the case. Like, it, it just shouldn't be. That I, I I don't know. Um, it's not been a good few weeks for the offense in general, and I think like defenses are starting to obviously know what root concepts he likes, but um, yeah, that they're also not having to play a legitimate run game for whatever reason. But, but that is also sort of next year with Gino, uh, because he's he's never really had a run like this, is he? As, as a starter where he's had success and he's had he's had like a, a few down weeks kind of thing. Like he it's wild to say about someone who's been in the league for a decade, but he is gonna go away and learn from this so when we get to Halloween and onwards in twenty twenty three and if he's still the starter in Seattle or wherever he is, he's gonna learn from this and it's kind of like it's it's there's different walls, isn't there? Really, I guess, mate. There's a rookie wall, but also Gino is—he's sat sat in his high, his backside for eight years, and maybe that's kind of like a maybe giving him too much leeway. But that 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 also kind of could be a thing for to like he's going to learn from this as much as everyone else is in 2023. Maybe, like I, st- you know what? I still have hope. Like they need to, like they need to run the ball properly. Like they need to be able to do that. If they can do that, I think like the Kansas City game, there's there's a potential for a win. And then after that, like Gino's, like I said, Gino's process has been constantly good. Like you you praise it, 
I wonder what his PFF grades are because, like, as much as I um, sometimes disagree <laughs> with with them for quarterbacks, I think in terms of like their grading process for like the pocket behavior, I think it's a all right baseline. And I wonder how much is dipped for Gino. I guess the the nearly pick six that they'd probably ding him down for. I don't know, but yeah, like overall, it's, it's been pretty steady. And also, to me, like if he had that supporting factor. Or the supporting factors rather of like, you know, like constraint plays where he's not the guy having to do it, like running or, you know, play action from under center, which they kind of go hand in hand, even if there isn't some analytical proof. Uh and uh, you know, or and and a good defense, you know. If you had those two things, like they could do something in, in the playoffs, even though I think the 49ers where it would it would be inevitable if Seattle won the next three games, then they have to go to San Francisco, get blown out for a third time. Um, <laughs> yeah, but maybe not. It's hard to beat a team three times. You you buying in? They're gonna they're gonna make the playoffs. They're gonna beat Kansas City, even though it's cold. That might work to their advantage. They just need to run the ball properly, and uh, the defense just needs to uh, stop making really bad mistakes and actually play better as well. And uh, then there's a playoff run. They go to San Francisco and they win, and then this uh, you see. No, <laughs> I mean, by the time we play the Rams in a couple of weeks, it's going to be the. I think the Rock is going to be the GM of that team. I think because there's so many injuries. Well, wouldn't that? I mean, I mean he's got he's got he's got no movies to make for James Gunn anymore, so maybe he's going to be he's going to be free. Um, wouldn't that be fitting if they like won these two games and we're like, yeah, and then they just have to beat the Rams <laughs> and the Rock is the GM and they lose. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe that will get him a box office hit. Um, yeah, uh, I was, um, was going to ask you: is, is there anything that can happen over the next three weeks, Mike, for you that could change your like perspective wildly over the next three weeks? Like, if 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 they don't improve on the things that you think they need to improve on, or if Gino starts to look like the Gino we feared. We may be seeing like how things may change their approach in the off season because like like the 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 second pick in that first round is still up for debate. I mean, if they took pretty much any position on the on the on the on the roster, prop, apart from running back, obviously, but like, they could literally go anywhere that second pick, and you go, okay, Sam. But the first one has changed. The second one is still up for debate. Is there anything that could happen over the next three weeks that could change your like perspective on things? Oh, I, I think if the Firstly, if I, I think if the run game continues to just be abysmally bad, I think you, you definitely have to start asking questions about, uh, oh, this is, I don't like this. But anyway, about Shane Waldron or Andy Dickerson, like you, like Pete would be like, hey, what 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 on earth happened here? We were, we were doing all right. And then, so that's one thing. Then I'd say, you know, if Gino starts really pressing or, or you know, just his process, which again, it's remained steady, but, if that just regresses, then obviously, like, again, there's, it's suddenly you're like, well, I don't know what we do here. And it will be interesting, like, that whole contract negotiations of, like, you know, do they tag him? Like, can they do, like, a two-year deal? Like, it's he'll be thinking, it's my last chance of, like, hopefully getting big bucks. Like, and up until, poor, last, like, three, three-ish weeks, he'd earned... It definitely, there was no question. And I don't know. It's like I said, there's a lot of other factors. But yeah, the, if the next three weeks he regresses, then you obviously have to ask the questions. But he hasn't, like, in my eyes, while his production's regressed, like, his play hasn't regressed. Like, the tape doesn't show that. 
what the tape shows is a lot a lot of other issues particularly like I, an interesting thing with the draft is like if you could like get like a Jalen Carter and then say Seattle finishes like you know nine and eight eight and nine well then what if you got like the best interior offensive lineman in the draft like a mauling right guard who can pass protect like that would solve a lot of issues in my opinion so mm. there's obviously going to be options with their their amazing draft assets but wouldn't be opposed to that but yeah and then on the defense like I, f- I feel they're kind of finding something again which that sounds ridiculous after after this bad patch but <laughs> feels like they've got enough enough calls and enough multiplicity like they finally fixed their issues against a two-back offense uh, against the 49ers, other than, you know, as Clint Hurt said, like if you take out that last big carry, which where they were going after something to try and get the stop, like, and they just got the perfect play call against them. They had 3.5 yards per carry. Then Woolen has an awful bust. Like, you know, he's he's beat up about that. Just a bad bust, shouldn't happen. And then Shanahan has a brilliant opening script um, and a trickery play, which, yeah, well done. And then uh, they start defending on the six-yard line. Like, other than that, they played really solid football, really hard football. The execution's better. They're sort of fitting it together more. And like I said, they have enough variation in their calls. That being said, that's against a two-back offense. So if they come out against Mahomes and the uh, Kansas City do have like a bit more of a kind of pro style or whatever that means, but uh, nature to their game than the kind of spread stuff that they were doing but in the, in past years, but if they come out against Kansas City and they just get absolutely obliterated, then I think, again, you've got to be like, <sighs> I don't know. And uh, I I love I love Pete Carroll. And, um, yeah, that, but at a certain point, like, if, if the defense is bad every single year, and I was bullish on it last year, like, I, I felt it was much better than people credit it for. You could sort of identify issues which would be solved more by personnel and like acquiring better personnel. I think this year as well, personnel, there are question marks about, uh, well, Daryl Taylor not panning out and then Jamal Adams being out. They're, they're like two massive issues. Like Taylor was meant to be their blue chip player and Adams in their eyes is definitely a blue chipper, right? So you've lost your two blue chips, which is awful. Now, Nwosu's been better than... Uh, well, not better, but he's outperforming, I'd say, his mid-tier edge contract. He had a great game in San Francisco. But as much as I love Pete, if the defense, you know, the 49ers game is like a, they fix the two-back stuff, but then they get passed all over, which, by the way, the reason, a big reason they went to this was to stop uh, the kind of multiple but spread them out style of NFL offenses, right? If they get just like, shredded and then they can't fix the issues that arise from that game because the NFL is a copycat lead and you bet the Jets and the Rams will do that. Then, like, what are you going to do? Fire her. Like, what does that achieve? Nothing. So how do you change the defense? Well, I mean, Pete does have a big say on the defense. Now, I wouldn't want to fire Pete Carroll, but again, it's fair if questions are asked about that because it's a regression. It's a massive disappointment from that midpoint in season where, you know, you felt they'd found something the Buccaneers game, they sort of had too much faith in the new system and they sort of unrolled some things, made some decisions, inactive decisions, defensive front decisions, which were very poor. And then they just got copycatted to heck and they were broken and everything. Um, yeah. So- yeah, Matty, we were talking last week and I don't think this would be an unfair paraphrase that you kind of said to me, look, I would also want Pete Carroll fired if I was just a fan and I didn't grind hours and hours and hours Mm. of tape like you do. Mm. But eventually 
the leash does get shorter and shorter. And actually I've kind of softened on, on my views on Pete and, you know, if he stays or whatever, I think he probably deserves to be given at least two years of a chance in, in this, you know, when you are going to sort of start again, not that he would say they are, but let's, you know, for, for the benefit of the tape, let, let's say that's kind of what they are a, a smidge, but does it get to a point where you just think, well, it's not going to get worse for trying something else? I think I think that's inevitable, right? Like, and that, that's why, like, as a fan, you'd want change because it's like we want something new. That's why the start of the season was very exciting because it was something new. You'd been used to Pete and Russell doing their thing. You didn't really know who was to blame. You probably had an inkling it was more Pete. Then suddenly Russell goes into Denver, struggles as he has. You're like, oh, hang on, Pete knew something here, and Gino's looking amazing. You're like, this is great change. Like, it's not just exciting because it's new. It's exciting because it's good. Like, they're playing good football. They're going to win the NFC West. They're going to get a top seed. They might even have a home playoff game, which they win. And then it and then it sort of dwindles in ways where you're like, well, that wasn't meant to happen because I thought they'd fix the defense like they always do in the second half of the seasons to an extent. And I thought, you know, Gino had a run game to lean on. Like, what happened to that? And this is like unfamiliar territory, really, because... And when was the last time a peak Howard team uh, dwindled off like this? It was probably uh, that 2013 Super Bowl run where they lost like loads of their last uh, few games. Like, the last quarter of the games, I think they lost all of them. Maybe three and, uh, one and three. But um, They lost to the Niners on the road. And I think, did they lose to the Rams at home? Yeah, and did they lose to Tampa Bay, Arizona? They were down big. To Tampa they were down twenty-one nil yeah. at home to Tampa Bay. Yeah, so like they they had a shaky patch then. Now, this is what's exciting to me. Like they're seven and seven, right? They are where they started, right? They're five hundred. Three game season. It's a three game season now. I don't know. Is, is nine and seven good enough to make the playoffs? It's that's an interesting question because Kansas City just feels very very difficult. But if you can't beat the Jets, who so hate all... their hate their quarterback, they hate him. Yeah, they hate him. Yeah, they hate him. <laughs> and he looks younger than me, which is uh, <laughs> which is saying something. Um, he is also younger than me, so fair enough. But uh, yeah, uh, but wow, that made me feel old. But uh, if they can't beat the Jets, who yeah, they're frisky with Robert Salah. They play a similar defense to what San Francisco does, and they play a similar style up front. So. Please on the ball this time. Um, and and if, they're, if they're seven those. and nine, it wouldn't stun me if they went seven and ten because the Rams came in and Baker Mayfield was fired up and something weird happened, like like that Cardinals game in twenty seventeen yeah. where they lost, or or the the Rams game where they got blown out at home, like you know where the team's sort of done, like they're just done out here. Um, then 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 it's like seven and ten. Really, how on earth did that happen? Because they've they're dead have lost. Uh, they'd have won two of their last so many games, wouldn't they? So they'll be one and seven if they go seven and ten. <laughs> wow, there we go. That is awful. Like that's, that, that, that's 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 that's, that happen, point... that, that's like discussion worthy level. Yeah, of because who do you point towards when there's a slip like that? Well, inevitably, it's the head coach. As much, which is why I cannot believe that that can happen. Like I just cannot believe like a mm-hmm. peak Carroll team can fall like that. Um, that would shock me. At the same time, they have, you know, Jordan Brooks with a neck injury and uh, Tanner Muse and Jordan Brooks. Like, um, 
Lockett's hurt his finger. Apparently, he'll be back after the Kansas City game. They're optimistic about that, but like, you know, he's had surgery on a, a broken finger. They got holes. The O lines regressed. I mean, it's not out of the question. You just hope that 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 would not happen. Like, I think they might have improved again on defense, but we'll see. Again, Kansas City, different style of offense, and then. The you know Gino is still playing good football even if it's not necessarily shown by numbers. So those are two things they can hang their hat on, and the special teams is good. They just is put up, put up or shut up. And if they like you know the two extremes are three and zero or zero and three, like two and one wouldn't surprise me. And then it's sort of crossing your fingers. And I mean, I I need to all the other teams have sort of similarly. Uh, up and down schedules, don't they? Yeah. Who they're contending with. So, do you think yeah. Gino would hold out if they were seven and nine going into that Rams game? Oh, that would be that would be leverage. And then it's the Drew Lock offense, and he's like amazing, and everyone's like, "Wow, this is a real <laughs> dilemma." I'm just thinking, if they're out of the playoffs and Gino's a free agent, what? No, no, that's not no. Gino's style. I don't yeah, think. yeah, but yeah. It, it would. Uh, it would be a, an interesting move, but I don't think Gino's like that. He he seems that's the other big thing. Or about not it. hold out, he, but like sort of be held out, kind of. They nah. agree not to play him. I don't know. No. Nah. Well, they might. I mean, really, it's an opportunity to see what Locke could do if they've missed. The, you know, if they've missed, if they the, missed playoffs, the playoffs. Yeah. 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 That's true, but I don't think Gino would abide by that. And that's the other factor with like, do you, do you pay him or do you not? Obviously, he's had the locker room for ages. Like. Uh, Metcalf the whole offseason like he's going to prove you wrong like he has something and he you know clearly has the respect to every guy in that room and that's a cliche but also you know Stu you brought up uh, the Jets' favourite quarterback like that's that's not the case there like Gino's mature he's seen a lot of things Um, it's also a relatively young team and so having you know having that kind of presence in the in the building is is i think a big deal like low mm. key because i don't think you really i guess the o-line's kind of they got some vets on it but still you know young I mean, yeah, tackles there's, and... there's probably what four players in their 30s on the team yeah how was quandre quandre's probably pushing 30 isn't he yeah he might have turned 30 this year yeah you got hours you got G- gino and then you've got gabe jackson gabe jackson so yeah like like mm. Andre turns 13 on January 20th. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Pro Bowl bound Nick Bullough, which we're about five minutes away from finding out if uh, Nick Bullough has made the Pro Bowl, which is not going to happen. It's no, I don't, happen. I don't think it is. Um, we get the Pro Bowl votes in five minutes. I think so. I think wow. so. Midnight. Um, Look at me, professional journalist. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, uh, I, just to stick on, G- sorry, Stu, just to stick on Gino for one more thing. I'm fascinated by what all of our guests sort of think is fair value, whatever fair even means. Like um, Danny O'Neill stunned me saying like three years, 90 million. And that was five or six weeks ago. And I was like, whoa, that seems like a lot. Um, I hear on KJR, they're saying, you know, if Gino will take like two years, 40 million, I'll be okay with that. I don't see any world in which he does that. Um, For me, a simple rule is if you search your own name on Twitter, (laughs) you don't accept less than the franchise tag. I I would say that that's a simple rule, but what do you reckon? Gino came for me one time. Yeah, he's come for all of us, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, Gino, I like you. I'm not trying to do what you think. (laughs) What what do you think 
he would want, which is an impossible question. I apologize even for asking it, but yeah, it's fun. Yeah, and I'll just I'll just call is there him an, up. And is there a number that's too rich for your blood? <sighs> Within reason. I'm not saying $50 million, obviously, we're not going to do that. Well, the tag for quarterbacks is like thirty million, right? Thirty million dollars. I think a smidge north, but like, within that, yeah, okay. roughly there. <sighs> I'm rubbish at these questions because, like, I don't really care. Like, just pay the guy. Like, it's <laughs> not my. That, that's my. I'd be, a, or I'd be like the Saints. I'd just be like, yeah, we'll pay this guy, we'll pay that guy. We'll just, you know, worry about it another time. Um, yeah, I mean, three and ninety million. That that feels fair for like that level of play that we saw. And then you just bump it down slightly for the production going down for these last, you know, this last stretch of games. So. Yeah. They, they, three and 80, three and 70. See yeah. what happens in the next few weeks. <laughs> or up it slightly, you know, yeah. I yeah. mean, Three and ninety, though, I think he'd be like, "Well, the tag is over slightly over thirty million." You said, "Well, then times up by three. I'd like a bit more than that, and then we'll see how that goes." I don't know, but how much would be too much? Well, age has to be factored in, but then he'll he'll come back and be like, "Well, I haven't actually been playing quarterback that much, so my arm has a lot less wear and tear." And yeah, it's going to be interesting and exhausting. And I also think you have to factor in he's never had a big payday. And so he will be like, like, who does he? He doesn't owe the team. Okay, it's been nice that they've supported him and given him the opportunity, but he won it. He impressed them. He'll he should hold out for every cent, whatever happens in the next few games, and I'm sure he will. Yeah, they're gonna have so to. it's such an interesting off season. It's been so boring for three or four years. I think this is really fun, <laughs> which, interesting which is, coming up. Which is wild seeing what they did nine months ago. Uh, but yeah, like, but I do kind of hope it. I don't think it's going to be settled quickly, but I do kind of hope because, although, yeah, the whole vibe around Gino is completely different to the guy he replaced. It's maybe it won't be as exhausting. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there won't be Venice Square walks in the rain, I guess. So, mm. Well, and also, do we have to wait for, like, a Lamar Jackson, for instance, to sign first for that domino to fall, you know? I mean, like... he, he's, he's, he's not staying in Baltimore, is he? I, like, if, it's if, really weird, that, yeah. It, it felt like about a, a month into the season, yeah, they're going to paint, but the longer the season's gone on, it well, now feels he's hurt. like... Yeah, now he's hurt again. It, it I... Like, I just don't. It's just a really strange way of handling a situation like that because, like, he is their offense. Like, it's just mad. Um, talking of offense, uh, I'm not too sure how long you've been in the tape diving game, Matty, but you got a West Virginia hat on. I think that's when I first. You jumped on my radar. I think you're all over the the senior bowl, trip trips and around down there. But mm. you all are you are defense with the Seahawks. You were, but you were banging the drum that this is Pete's offense and it'll be fine without the Broncos quarterback. Mike Leach is he's someone who his offense is was, was that someone that you dived in when you got first got into the game? Because obviously everyone's like waxing uncle about him since he's had. Uh, passing last week, but he 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 changed. He truly changed the game, and like it's, I, I don't I don't think his story has kind of been. I don't think I realized how wild it was that 
not only did he play, he didn't coach. And he just got his start and then, like I said, just completely changed the offensive game and that like, his imprint is all over the all over the country in college football. It's yeah, just... no doubt. And like in that sense, like I mean, I played very briefly, but obviously not to an American level. Yeah. Uh, in that sense, I do coach the game in Britain. In that sense, a bit of an idol because you know if he can do it, why can't someone like me? Um, yeah, uh, I, I believe like I, I never met the guy, but I know he was very gracious with his time. Like he visited Britain on a number of occasions and spoke to British coaches and he was very courteous with sharing information. For instance, I have a few of his like, you know, clinics and playbooks, which he's obviously given to coaches and as ever it gets circulated. But there's some certain coaches who'll never share that information. And like you just watch him, you know, uh teach and it's obviously he's a great teacher and his influence on the game is wild, like the fact that the air raid became this massive deal and like even in britain you have people who want to run the air raid but i think the beauty of that is uh the way it was always like a very small amount of plays but just and a very small amount of formations but what they did was they just repped it time and time and time and time again and they just have countless reps of it so that while you could run four verts like okay well on this play we're just going to throw it back shoulder to this guy rather than trying to throw it over the top for a bucket catch because we've just practiced so many times and the cornerback's given us this look we're gonna we're gonna toss it up and 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 catch it um in sort of back shoulder underneath that cornerback's technique and so again that's something that is um admirable um yeah that was that was kind of sad takes takes you back a bit but then that's that's life isn't it that's uh you know you don't know how long you've got and you've got to make the most of it. And I'm sure he definitely did, right? So Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, we, we've had Theo on here, and we've spoken to Theo Adam uh, mm. personally. And like, his press conference in Washington State were question, question, question. Okay, Theo, you, she and Mike now, and they just have... That's where all the... A lot of the wilder quotes on his Washington State days come from Theo's end of press conference questions about absolutely anything. <laughs> and he would run away with it, but yeah, that it was it was really sad. But like he's like Lincoln Riley, Gardner Minshew, people, uh, well, Gardner Minshew maybe this weekend. Like the way they talk about him, Gardner Minshew said he'd be being shouted at by Nick Saban if it weren't for uh, Mike Leach. Yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, sad. Uh, spin the bin quickly. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, I am going to put in uh, Shady McCoy, who just needs to stop talking. Just. Uh, Three people on that show need to stop talking, but Shady McCoy has clearly seen what Emmanuel Acho has managed to do um, over the last 18 months and go, I'm going to copy that. And he's just not as brazen with it. He just, he's literally just doing paper by numbers and it's just, he needs to just stop talking. Like that show is, that network is just wild. But yeah, Shady McCoy can just please just stop. Like it. Um, I haven't necessarily got a bin, but something that I heard didn't go in any bin whatsoever was any uh, sort of beer uh, in Germany, uh, Matty, and perhaps it was hoovered up by by yours truly. I've heard some stories about taxis uh, that perhaps you you do or don't want to divulge, but it does sound like you uh, you and the press boys in Seattle really uh, really got right stuck into it. No, oh, you've got a uh, you've got a. Source. I've got an inside source. Inside very, source. Very yeah. impressive. No, yeah, it's very good fun. Um, the the it's funny because uh, you know you don't know what people are going to be like. Obviously, 
Uh, but meeting all the Seattle guys, they're they're a great group of people. Like all of them, um, th- just know if if you're a Seahawks fan, uh, and you're like tweeting at them, like, why didn't you ask this? Well, they're they're nice at least, so they may not <laughs> ask the question you want, but they're they're very nice people, very fun to have uh, a beer or or two with, and uh, yeah, t- taxis. Oh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, I, don't, I don't know what you're referring to. We'll talk about that off air. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> you uh, might not want to put me in the bin, Matty. With, with yeah. your, <laughs> no, you no, no, us. no. Is anyone for you, Matty? Uh, no. Well, can we put Argentina in the bin? Just put them Ooh, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. They're, they're sort of the... Yeah, the the fairy tale story that everyone's really happy with. I thought. Yeah, that's my problem with it. Like, it's uh, everyone's like, "Oh, isn't it so good for Messi?" And isn't that nice? And it's like, no, not really. Like, put him in the bin. And I'm a bit. It's like a bit weird how like uh, Emilio Emiliano Martinez. He is, can uh, go in the bin. Why is he holding? Why is he holding like Mbappe? Like, yeah. It's just so uh, odd. He's just yeah. an odd guy, isn't he? Yeah, Weirdly. he's, just, he's, he's a strange dude. But that's what happens when you spend. Uh, more than six months in Aston, so that's just yeah. what happens. That, that's yeah. that's not that's not where he picked this. Up, <laughs> I think he it is. He picked it up on the wrong end of the seven sisters. Let me tell you, as all of those vermin uh, do exactly the same. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like I, I said to uh, my dad at the start of the poetry show, I was like, if France, if Argentina, if Argentina win, just France can just miss the target, just so we don't have. The villa keeper making saves and then work <laughs> yeah. yeah. And can't... instead, he's like the big story because he's like yeah. kicking the ball away. And yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It, it sums up 95% of that fan base. And I think Adam would say the same words, <laughs> <laughs> same order. Uh, yeah. Also, Matty, um, Mike Ashley's fun. He's only been here a month. Uh, yeah, how's yeah. that going? I told you that was bad news. Yeah, I don't beautiful. want to be. I told you so, but I did tell you there's, so. there's literal leaks and holes in the roof already, and yeah. Oh, but, great! But, Has but, he put Sports Direct on the side yet? Not yet. Uh, Wasp is still on the side, but he took the Wasp logos down. But uh, and uh, but yeah, it's, <laughs> great. Yeah. Uh, Sky we, Blue for Sports Direct Blue. Yeah, we won. Um, we won tonight. We're eighth in the league. Focus on that and nothing else. There we go. Eddie Eddie Howe's uh, problematic Saudi mags uh, (laughs) in the the last day of the uh, the Carabao Cup. So that's massive. Yeah, Yeah. it's mad that they played games three days after the World Cup, but that's what happens when you send it uh, and make a World Cup. Uh, Patreon.com position podcast, Podbean, Spotify, iTunes. Where can people get your writings, your podcasts, Matty? It's all over the show. So. I uh I lost my job at uh, All Seahawks. So what I did was I launched a Substack called Seahawks on Tape, which you can subscribe to for free with your email. And if you want, if you like the bits of content I give out for free, you can pay at seven dollars a month for a, a subscription to that, or seventy dollars a year, which works out obviously slightly cheaper. I also do an NFL film room for Underdog Fantasy, which is on YouTube explaining a bit of scheme about generally offense and fantasy football related players makes sense and then finally i am a host of a podcast called seattle overload which is kind of schemey x's and o's content but we have a bit more of a casual news show on a on a wednesday which comes out thursday so that's thursday friday sunday post game live reaction if you're listening on spotify but you can tune in live to my youtube where it's the day before 
they're and like think, midnight for UK listeners. So I think you're recording something in seven and a half minutes. I am, yes, yes. So that's going to be great. I'm all warmed up. Thanks, guys. Okay. Yeah, you get all the softball shite out of the way with us, <laughs> yeah. and then you can get on the yeah. heavy hitter. Yeah, you know, I, I love yeah. it. Yeah, we're like the honey and lemon before like the the the, the soprano kind of thing. Uh, yeah, uh, to, yeah. Appreciate your time as always, mate. Um, and, and we'll, we'll keep an eye out for you on Monday on the press conference. Enjoy the game. Have a good Christmas. Uh, Adam, I'll say over here. Have a good Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just December 25th for me, mate. Don't worry about that. Uh, yeah, until next time, this has been the Pedestrian Podcast.